0: I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks looking at these characters in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, and today we're going to read on in Luke chapter 2 about some more people who are visited by angels, who have a good news proclamation for them. And these people are different again from Mary and Zechariah. They're characters who you will be familiar with if you've ever been to a school nativity production. We're going to read about the shepherds as they are visited by angels on the hillside outside Bethlehem. Actually outside Bethlehem would be where they spent pretty well all their time as shepherds and we're going to talk about that a bit more in a moment. But Before we dig into the passage we need to take a few minutes to set the scene, to help us really understand what happens in this passage. Because these are verses, like we've said over the last couple of weeks, that we're so familiar with. If, Like, you don't even have to have been in church. If you have had young children or been a young child, which is all of you... (laughs) then you're going to know this story. And it's very easy for us to skip through these verses and think, yeah, 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 I know it, like shepherds watching their flocks, angels come, ah, glory of the Lord shines around, good news, great joy, all people move on. But there's more to this story than that, and we need to make sure we don't miss it. So to set the scene, we need to remember that Luke loves detail, or Luke's gospel is the most detailed account when it comes to things like who, what, when, and where. And this is no exception. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write this account, actually in the first instance, for someone called Theophilus. Now, in God's wisdom and God's providence, actually the writing of Luke in both Luke and Acts are therefore aggred. And our benefit as Christians have been down through the centuries. But Luke's primary audience, when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down, was Theophilus. We read this in Luke chapter 1 verse 1 through to verse 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, there is some variety of view and opinion on who Theophilus is. But personally, I think the most compelling argument is that Theophilus is a judge. The greeting most excellent Theophilus is used several times by Luke in his writings, in both Luke and Acts. The other times when it's used it's explicitly used of judges. We know that from the context of what's happening in the story, and so given the way Luke writes, it would be not improbable or not unlikely that if he's going to use the same greeting, the same term, he's using it for another judge. And given the dating of this, given the focus of Luke's writing, both in Luke and Acts, particularly in Acts, I think it's most probable that Theophilus was the judge who was presiding over the case of the Apostle Paul in Caesar's court in Rome. And Luke writes these accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and in turn the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul to provide background, evidence, as it were, for Paul's case. So Theophilus is a Roman citizen. He's a Roman citizen in a position of power and influence, but he's also a Roman citizen who has heard the good news of Jesus Christ. He's not ignorant to the gospel because of the position he's in, and Luke writes an accurate account for him, taking in eyewitnesses and others including all the details about when, where, and who. And so that's the first thing we have to have in our minds as we approach these verses. But there's another significant thing that I think we benefit from knowing when we come to particularly this angel's proclamation to the shepherds. And that is that in 44 B.C., an 18-year-old young man named Octavius was unexpectedly thrust into center stage of the Roman Empire. Shortly before the assassination of Julius Caesar, Caesar changed his will to name Octavius, his nephew, as his heir and successor. Overnight, Octavius went actually from relative obscurity to incredible prominence in the Roman Empire. He became the first emperor to Rome. He took on a new name, as he did. No longer Octavius, but Caesar Augustus. And... I think he got quite carried away with his new position because he began something of a kind of propaganda campaign to convince the Roman Empire and to convince his subjects of just how amazing he was. And he centered this campaign around two ideas or concepts, in particular using two Greek words, trying to convince the people that it wasn't just good news for him that he'd gone from relative obscurity to being the emperor, but it was good news for all of them too. And he used these two words, Soter, which means saviour, and Evangelion, which means good news or gospel. Caesar Augustus was keen to frame himself as the saviour of the Roman Empire. And his position as such was good news to all of his citizens. He really did get quite carried away. This, listen to this quote from one of his inscriptions in the city of Priene in Asia Minor. This is an inscription on a building that he commissioned it says providence which orders all things and is deeply interested in our life has set things in perfect order by giving us augustus sending him as a savior for us and for our descendants that he might end war and make all things beautiful since by his appearing caesar has exceeded the hopes of all who awaited this good news the birthday of the God Augustus marks the start of the good news about him for the world." You think, "Wow, this guy. <laughs> but it really helps us if we know that, and if we remember the use of those two words in Augustus's propaganda campaign when we read this proclamation, because Luke would have been well aware of it. And Theophilus, to who he wrote, who would have been just steeped in Roman propaganda, would have been very well aware. These two words, Soter and Evangelion, feature in the angel's declaration to the shepherds. We're going to dig into it more in a moment, but... We're supposed to see, and if we don't have that background, we miss out on it. We're supposed to see that where Augustus had positioned himself as the answer for the Roman Empire, he positioned himself as the hero of the story, as good news for the people of Rome, the bringer of salvation to the Roman Empire that angels are going to announce something entirely better and someone wholly superior because they will announce Jesus as the true king who will bring salvation not just to the Roman Empire but to all people. Not announced by his own declarations and edicts but announced by the very angels of heaven. Caesar was a pretender Jesus, we see, is the real deal. So let's read together, shall we, from chapter 2, verse 8 onwards. We're going to pause up at verse 14, and then we'll pick it up again in a bit. So this is just after Christ has been born. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. It's that word of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I'm sure lots of you will have heard this before, but actually we're not supposed to read this and go, oh, isn't that lovely? This is supposed to make us kind of step back a bit and go, what? That would have been Theophilus' reaction when he received and read this. Who? Shepherds? You see, the angel of the Lord is not supposed to appear to people like shepherds, they're not important. In fact, they're not trustworthy. Being a shepherd was a hard and undesirable job. Shepherds were social outcasts who had dropped out of the education system early, lived and worked beyond the boundary of the town or city. They were commonly known as being thieves. Actually, a shepherd's testimony was not admissible in court these are not the people who you're expecting the angel of the Lord to appear to. Theophilus would have been well and truly aware of that. Remember, he's a judge. It's like, these guys can't even stand up in court. Like, why then? What's going on? Well, as much as anything else, it actually just lends incredible credibility to Luke's account. If you're going to make up this story, there's no way you're choosing shepherds as the people who are going to hear this proclamation because you can't trust what they have to say. But God did choose them. God did choose them to receive this and Luke simply records history as it unfolds. The angel of the Lord declares to them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Good news, Evangelion, a Saviour has been born. Soter, those two words, we mustn't miss it. Augustus has pointed to himself, but Christ the Saviour is now born. And this is good news for all the people. The, the word that Luke uses there, for all people, is a word that is almost always used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, is almost always used to refer to Jewish people. It's not at this point referring to the ethnos, or the people of the world. This is specifically to the Jewish people. In other words the angel here makes a very specific declaration to those shepherds the one who you've been waiting for the savior who you've been waiting for is born the messiah the wait is over we've talked about the wait over the last few weeks haven't we and and mary and zechariah's experience of that the shepherds actually would have been no different along with the rest of their people, hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting, 400 years of waiting in silence is finally over. And upon the birth of Christ, after this incredibly long wait, God chooses to announce his arrival to shepherds and more than that he invites them to come and meet him this is your sign you go into the town you're going to find a stable in that stable you're going to find this baby come and see for yourself come and meet him come and gaze on him don't just hear the good news respond come and meet him they are about the most unlikely choice you could think of. And I think there's a really healthy challenge for us here, right? On two levels. The first is this. I think most of us, most of the time, think that we are the most likely choice. (laughs) I think that's our default setting, most of the time. Well, I just want to lovingly say we're probably more like shepherds than we care to admit. And the other aspect of this is that I think the reality for most of us, and I know I felt challenged on this again myself this week, is that we can be tempted to be selective about who we share the good news with who we invite to come and see for themselves to meet jesus we can rule people out on all kinds of criteria maybe the kind of criteria that people would have ruled the shepherds out on they're not i don't know if they're the sort of person that like they're not trustworthy like do you know some of the things they've done we can rule people out on all kinds of criteria too intelligent not intelligent enough too rich not rich enough i <laughs> like in honesty i probably would have ruled the shepherds out like i wouldn't have chosen them but in his kindness god did this group of men on the hillside who wouldn't have been welcomed in a court of law were not deserving of receiving this good news they, they didn't deserve the angels to visit them on that night and give that good news proclamation they'd done nothing to, to earn that privilege But the truth is, none of us have. None of us are actually deserving of this good news proclamation. And that's the wonder of God's grace, isn't it? God chose them, and in his kindness, he chooses us. And the good news didn't stop with the Jewish people. You know, I just said that the angel's proclamation begins with all people, people there linguistically being the Jews. Because no sooner has he finished the first part of this declaration to the shepherds than a whole heavenly host show up and join in proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth this is now the whole earth peace among those with whom he is pleased there is an offer for anyone on earth with whom God is pleased or in some translations you'll read on whom his favour rests well who is that who it's those who accept and receive Christ as Lord and Savior it's those who hear this good news proclamation and respond in saying I believe and I want to go and see for myself I want to meet him I want to know him I want to bow to him as Lord in other words this is good news not just for the Jews, but for every person from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, if they would hear and respond to the good news and receive Christ Jesus as Saviour and Lord. In the midst of a census that had people rushing around all over the country at the whim of Caesar, the self-proclaimed Saviour, the angels now declare that the of Of Christ the Lord, the true Savior, is good news, not just for Rome, not just for the Jews, but for all who would believe. Good news of great joy, lasting peace with God. And how do the shepherds respond to this? It's a great response. It's a really good response. I want to be more shepherd in my response. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They're not hanging around, these guys. They charged into town. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What do they do? They don't say, oh, that's nice. Do they? They rush to meet him. They respond. We've got to see him. We've got to know for ourselves. It wasn't enough just to hear about Jesus. They went to meet him, to receive him, to experience him. To bow the knee and worship him. How about you? If you've heard the good news. You rush to meet him. Have you met him? Do you know him? Please don't just settle for hearing the good news. Having believed what they had heard, they went and saw for themselves. They met him, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the Savior, the Prince of Peace. (laughs) And when they arrived, what else did they do? As well as bow the knee and worship him, they told everyone there what they knew about. This babe. Having believed what they had heard, they passed the good news on to everyone else. This is no ordinary child. Do you know who this is? Do you know who he is? Have you acknowledged who he is? The Savior, the Messiah, the Rescuer. The shepherds knew how unlikely they were to receive God's news and favour in this way. Like, I, there's no way that these guys heard this and went, I always knew it was going to come to people like us. Like, there's just literally no way that they heard this and went, 400 years of waiting, I always knew when the news finally broke it was going to come to us out here. <laughs> they... Knew how unlikely it was that they would be on the receiving end of this news <laughs> and they responded in worship no wonder no wonder they responded in worship how about you you take for granted the grace of God you find yourself almost kind of being over familiar with the wonder of salvation that God would save someone like you someone like me that his favour would come to us how does this connect for us beyond that well you know it might not be Caesar in fact Pretty confident it's not Caesar for anyone in this room. <laughs> but there are many things this Christmas time that are going to offer themselves as good news to you. That will set themselves up as good news for you if you would receive them. That will offer you a kind of functional salvation from something. This year's M&S advert, just to get it out of the way, I utterly hate it. But this year's M&S al- al- advert, if you've seen it, offers us the good news proclamation that we can save ourselves from Christmas misery by being more selfish and saying no to traditions and activities that don't meet our personal preferences. That's the message of that advert. You don't like it? It doesn't make you happy. It doesn't individually bring you joy. It doesn't matter how it impacts on anyone else. Throw it away, shred it, bin it. This is about you. You can be saved from Christmas misery by being more selfish this Christmas time. Interesting, isn't it? Mobile phone adverts with their new... AI camera technology, which is getting more and more creepy by the moment. Blemish removal and other filters offer us salvation of a type from the shame of ever having a less than perfect photo or selfie to share with others on social media or whatever other means. You Just brush out the bits you don't like. That nice picture with your friends. Oh, there's something in the background you don't like. Just get rid of it. It's not picture perfect. It's interesting what we feel like we need saving from sometimes. EE Broadband with its new parental controls. By the way, I'm very much up for parental controls on Wi-Fi, just so we're clear on that. But EE Broadband with its new parental controls offers salvation from children being glued to their devices when you as a parent have told them it's time for bed. Because being a parent and saying no isn't enough. We need e-broadband to help us. That promotion or pay rise offers financial freedom and a kind of salvation from having less than we want or think we deserve. Myriad of other products offer us salvation from inconvenience. And they bring the good news proclamation that we're in charge. That it's all about us and our preferences. And having everything just how we like it. It's how most of our advertising and products work. It's about you. your are God. You're at the center. You're the most important. Shape it all around you. Be Lord of your life in every conceivable way. You see, the reality is we need, just as much as the shepherds, Theophilus, and everyone else needed that first Christmas time, we need to hear loud and clear the good news proclamation that Christ has come to bring true salvation eclipsing all pretenders. And that true salvation comes from the root issue in all of our lives. He's come to save us from our biggest issue and our biggest enemy. To save us from our rebellion against God. Actually, from wanting to do things our way. He's come to save us from the very things that all of these functional salvations we're offered in advertising and in other areas of our lives are promising he's actually come to set us free from to realize that it's not about us and our glory but about him and his it's not about having everything how we want it but about understanding that he's created us and called us his glory and for the good of others actually and Christ came to deal with this living in perfect obedience to the father where we've rebelled and offering his life in exchange for ours and in that exchange at the cross to bring us peace Forgiveness we find in the finished work of Jesus brings peace between God and men. Peace on whom his favor rests. Peace for those whom God is pleased with. That's what the angels came to proclaim. It's what Jesus came to fulfill. And it's on offer for you today. And it's on offer for your friends and neighbors, and colleagues as well. However much you might think they're like shepherds. And so I want to pray for us. And we're going to share communion in just a moment. Dave's going to lead us. And then we'll come back to worship. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we recognize that there are so many things in our life that offer us good news in one way or another, that set themselves up as the solution to our problems. Just as Caesar did that first Christmas time. But Jesus, we recognize that all of those things are hollow and empty. They fail to deliver on what they promise. But you, Lord, you, Jesus, the true Savior, have accomplished all that you set out to. And having perfectly once and for all dealt with our sin at the cross you've made it possible for us to come to have peace with god to come to see for ourselves to know you to draw close with sins forgiven and conscience cleansed to know you and lord that's what we were created for You made us to know you. You made us to to receive and to share in your love. You made us in your image for your glory. And Jesus, you made it possible for us to enjoy that. Have our sins forgiven. Lord, we look to you again now. We say, Lord, we we just want to put away all of those other things. See them for what they are. We say Jesus this Christmas time we're looking to you again we're sorry for where we've placed our hopes in other things we come to you again now we say Lord take your rightful place in our lives in our hearts you are the saviour you are Lord Lord And I pray that you would give us boldness to proclaim that to those around us. Just like the shepherds, as those who've heard good news, and of those who have responded and seen you for ourselves, God, I pray that we would be quick like the shepherds were to tell anyone who's going to listen, hey, do do you know who he is? Have you met him for yourself?